Welcome to Rail Group On Air. This is Kevin Smith, Editor-in-Chief of International Railway Journal. On today's edition, we are taking a trip to the Middle East, to Saudi Arabia and its capital Riyadh, where work is nearing completion on the world's largest single-phase metro project. Construction of the 176-kilometre six-line network, which will serve 85 stations, got underway in 2014. The city-wide metro and integrated bus network is costing $27 billion and the metro is involved building 85 kilometres of viaduct and 36 kilometres of tunnel using seven TBMs. More than 60,000 people from 35 different countries are working on the project at its peak in September 2018 and as we move into 2021, testing is now well underway, with passengers expected to board the first trains by the end of the year. Two programme management consultants have overseen delivery of the programme and in today's podcast I am joined by Carter Rohan of RMTC and Lindsay Vamplew of the Ramp Consortium. We discussed the challenges faced by the PMCs and the contractors tasked with delivering a project on this scale in such a busy city and in a country with minimal experience with metro construction. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Okay, just to kick off then, guys, um, no, nice to see you today and appreciate you joining me again. Um, could you both quickly introduce yourselves, um, describe your specific role on the project and uh, what exactly you were tasked to oversee? And um, maybe start with you, Carter, please. Okay. Hello, Kevin. My name is Carter Rohan. I'm the project director for RMTC. RMTC is performing as the PMCM, managing uh, two contract packages. The first package uh, is package one performed by BAX uh, for design and construction of line one and line two. And the second package that we manage is package two performed by A&M for line three. Hello, um, my name is Lindsay Van Plew. I am the project director for, for RAMPT. RAMPT is a joint venture made up of Louis Berger, now WSP, and Hilton International. Um, we look after package three, uh, which is lines four, five, and six. Okay, that's great, thank you. Right then, and to kick things off, uh, let's maybe turn the clock back slightly and look at the situation when you arrived in Saudi Arabia. So what did you find when you landed back in 2013? And how did you shape the project in the early days in order to get to where we are now? On our packages, uh, we started the program in 2013. Uh, the initial start was uh, doing all the early works, uh, checking utilities, uh, checking right-of-ways, uh, making sure that we had uh, enough land for the alignment, uh, preparing the designs, uh, taking all of the preliminary conceptual designs that were prepared by the client, RCRC, and developing the design into the transit network for lines one, two, and three. Uh, over the course of, uh, it's been seven years now, uh, the design is uh, almost uh, complete, nearing 100% complete, and the construction uh, on both of uh, my packages are in the range of 88 to 90% complete. So the management uh, of that end of the work uh, involved uh, bringing on the professional teams to uh, help us with the early works and then to oversee and uh, check all of the design development that was done by the DB contractor. Uh, again, build, building on what Carter has said for, for his packages, I think one of the earliest challenges that we, we both had when we came here was to, 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 to look at what has been designed and how we were going to implement it in the middle of a, a major city without destroying the, the city's economy and how the city operates. So 
for the first few months, it was all about taking the designs, the concept designs that had been developed and saying, how can we build this and what is the right thing to do? And we, we, we tweaked them and changed them to reduce the disruption onto the city. Then we had to go and talk to stakeholders and get stakeholder buy-in because you can well imagine the impact on the various uh, parties in the city uh, and we needed to have close negotiations, uh, discussions with them. At the same time, we were both building teams. You know, um, this is, as you said in the, in the introduction, this is a, a major mega project mm. uh, and it required some uh, very specialist resources who were willing to work in the Middle East to deliver that. And that took, took a bit of time to settle in. I would say one of the strong points that we had is, is fortunately that me and Carter were very closely together. So whilst we're two separate organisations, we work together. We're not in competition. We decided no. at the outset that the, the best way for us to approach this was to share our knowledge, share our expertise and work together. And, and that, that has worked all the way through for six years, that we, six or seven years that we've been together. We've been very, very close in how we've delivered this. That's actually a very good point. Given the packages that were put out to the separate DBs, uh, they were awarded as three contracts, but they had the same general requirements, the same uh, design requirements, the same quality requirements. And to come together and operate as one team, it required Lindsay and I to join at the hip. We immediately in 2013 began planning and orchestrating the quality programs, the safety programs overall to ensure that the public and Riyadh was safe while we were doing construction as well as the contractor safety programs. And us working together allowed us to put together one umbrella program for quality and safety yeah. uh, on the program. It, it was very successful. Yeah. Were there any, um, I mean, obviously working in, in Saudi Arabia and to talk about personnel and skills here, you know, the, the challenge of from day one starting up on a, such a massive scale of work and securing the, the number of people and, and the skills that you needed to deliver that, was that, was that a, a major challenge for you? And, and how did you overcome that particular element? It, it, it was a challenge because you, you've got to remember in 2013, the Middle East was, was busy with lots of, lots of uh, metro works in different countries. Yeah. And therefore, we, we were fishing in the same pond as everybody else was to, to get our resources. Fortunately, we both experienced people in, and, and we know people uh, and therefore we were able to tap into our, our knowledge and our, our resource pool to bring some key people to our organization that enable us to set a, a competent workforce up. And then once we got that in place, then we looked to the local market and, and started to bring the local market pace to, to supplement the job front. Yeah, I think along those lines, you know, it's uh, it's any like any project in the world except uh, to the magnitude of 100 times. Yeah. Um, mm. It's just bigger. So you, you execute or you lay out your plans to execute in the same manner. But what uh, Lindsay and I experienced in 2013 is totally different than what you would experience now. And what I mean by that is the laws within Saudi Arabia were much different yeah. than they are right now. The culture was much different uh, in 2013 than it was now. So enticing professionals, even if they were in our networks or even yeah. if they were in the bench strength of the corporations, it was, it was I would say, difficult to get the people to say yes to come to Saudi Arabia. Uh, if we would have said Dubai at that time, they would have said, oh, absolutely, immediately. So it took some yeah. negotiating, some talking, some confirming that, uh, you know, it's the right place, it's the right program, they would be safe. Um, and we got the professionals here, but 
I think uh, just because of the fact that uh, the state that Saudi Arabia was in in 2013 made it a little bit difficult yeah, to get the resources. It, it, it wasn't the first choice of a lot of people that were coming to the Middle East. And, and, and the other part of it was a lot of people came without the families. So mm-hmm. we always had, we always had the, the tug of people saying, I need to go home to see my family. And at the same time, we were trying to do one of the most uh, demanding jobs in the world at the time. So that, that was a fine balance that we had to strike with our workforce. Is there anything particular that has changed to make that easier over that period? Well, um, I, I'd like to start out on that uh, with the respect to the culture. In 2013, both Lindsay and I were sort of on the cutting edge of hiring uh, local Saudi talent, and particularly females. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2013, um, females really weren't prevalent in the workplace, but there were a lot of good female Saudi yeah. engineers. Yeah. Uh, we both brought them on board with the support of uh, RCRC, of course. And we were ahead of times. Just a year or so ago, um, the country opened up and females have a, a lot more ability to move around to work uh, in the workplace. But it was a little bit uh, of an effort to uh, set up situations so that we could bring females into the workplace so that they could be productive. And one of, the, one of the other parts of our contract was to be able to mentor and train uh, Saudi graduates uh, and Saudis that, that were coming through the universities. So um, part, of the, part of what we've done is taken people through a, a journey of the project, given them experience of our international project management and construction management is, is held uh, on the project and allowed, allowed them to grow so that they are now going off to other parts of the kingdom and doing significant uh, pieces of work for the development of, of, of the kingdom. So that has been a, a major success, I think, from our party to be able to do that. And it, it was one of the um, more enjoyable parts of the job as well, watching the young guys coming in, grabbing hold of the project, uh, with all the enthusiasm that they brought. Um, they brought enthusiasm. We gave them knowledge uh, and working together has enabled them now to, to develop their careers and, and go off to other parts of the kingdom. Now, Kevin, as, as you can imagine, uh, the undertaking of such a big and complex project uh, in 2013, for us, uh, both as PMCs and for RCRC to make the commitment to train Saudi nationals and to bring on the young university graduates, um, that was uh, extraordinary because on a big project like this, the simple thing to do is to go out and look for the people with worlds of experience. We made it a point to address a portion of our staff uh, to the junior engineering program. As Lindsay said, uh, graduates coming out with no experience. Uh, We brought them in, we mentored them, we coached them, we trained them. Uh, it was a huge success, and I would say 50% of them uh, have been enticed away by other Saudi private companies and the Saudi government institutions, and the rema- most of the remaining Saudi junior engineers are still with us, yeah, still working. Yeah. Uh, and we, we did summer school training for, for people that's still at university. I mean, during their, their summer vacation, we used to take about 150 of them on to spend six or seven weeks with us to get a flavor for what the project uh, was about uh, and then to give them specific training in, in certain areas of project management, cost control, you know, construction management, so that they understood when they went back to university the, what the benefit of their degree was and what they could do uh, if they pursued that career. 
that's that's really great. And I've heard it referred to before as like sideization of the workforce. Was that a major objective for this project when it um, first started? You know, to as well as develop this metro network, but to also develop you know this in-house and uh, in-country skill base that might benefit the country in the future. It, it was, uh, and we needed to do some of this for our visa process. But we took it beyond that because what we what we found is. Um, enthusiastic people that wanted to learn and wanted to add value and, and and at the end of the day we used to say to them this is their metro it's not ours when, when we finish this and it's operating we will go somewhere else they will live it uh, and therefore they're our legacy as, as much of them as the metro is yeah i would agree with that uh, the engineers that still work with us that uh, joined us fresh out of the university uh, it, it, it's really refreshing uh, when we go out to the sites and we meet with our teams to see how enthusiastic they are about what they've accomplished over the last seven years. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, um, maybe just to move on and talk about the sort of construct, construction challenges facing the project. And you mentioned in our introduction about um, you know, building a six-line metro network in, in a vast city such as Riyadh and you know, the level of disruption that would cause. Could you maybe expand on that and, and how specifically the project overcame those difficulties? We, 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 what we did is we looked at each, each aspect of the, of the project uh, and determined what was the best way to, to build it. The, the, there, were, there were occasions, it, it, one that sticks out in, in my mind is the underground stations. Uh, the underground stations originally were designed to go in the junctions of, of, of roadways. Um, the junctions of roadways are the ones that cause the most disruption to the traffic and it also has all the services in. So if we could move those stations from that junction, uh, and remember they're underground stations, so the traveling public doesn't really know where their stations actually sat. What, what is more interesting is where the entrances of those stations are. So we, look, we looked at all the underground stations uh, uh, and we, we tweaked them. To, to make sure it was in the least disruptive part of the uh, of the project. The the other thing was uh, we had to pay particular attention to was the logistics. You can say that we have the the, the work sites, but then we have to transport materials, people, uh, and debris away from the site. So we we set up campaigns where we again uh, both uh, ourselves and Adam to see got together and, and agreed routes, and we agreed sites, we agreed places where uh, materials would be disposed of. So we had a common approach to the city. Uh, and then when we went to see the, the utility services, the police and various other people that we needed to negotiate with, it was, a, it was as, as uh, the total project, not individual elements. So that gave them the bigger picture. I think along those same lines, the, uh, the traffic diversions as well. Yeah. If you can imagine uh, three B DBs with each having values of 8 billion to 16 billion of work, they all have their own interests to get their own schedules accomplished, to get their work in place, do it most efficient. And when you have a situation set up like that, each entity is going to want to drive to get what they need out of it so they can move on. Uh, we as a team worked together to make sure that the three DBs coordinated, and actually we got very good support from RCRC Transportation yeah. uh, in coordinating all of the traffic diversions to ensure that the public in Riyadh had uh, alternative means of access while we were shutting portions of roads down to do the work. I think that was highly successful. Yeah, it was. Again, what are the benefits that we had at the outset? I mean, we, we were coming in here new, so coming into to Riyadh, not understanding Riyadh, not understanding Saudi Arabia, but understanding 
the skill set that needs to build to build the metro. What was the great part is that the, the, the client, RCRC, brought Riyadh to us. So they had the knowledge of how the city worked. We had the knowledge of how the project works. And therefore, we combined that to, 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 for the betterment of, A, the project, but also to reduce the disruption of the city and to get the cooperation of the utility owners and the police to enable us to move forward. Okay. Um, well, how about the uh, specific environment that you were working in? I mean, we know that uh, Saudi Arabia is a very hot country and very dry. Did that pose any particular challenges, the construction work that you were doing, perhaps the tunnelling? Um, Lindsay, how about you? Yeah, um, interesting. We, we had a couple that were unique to, to Saudi Arabia. The, the first one was the uh, concrete lining uh, for the tunnel. Uh, when we started to, to do the works, we found that the, the linings was, was cracking. Uh, and therefore, we had to do some investigation on, on why this was. And basically, we were storing the concrete outside in the, in the open air to, to cure it before we actually took it to the tunnel to install it. And what we found is that the temperature was so high in, in Riyadh that the outside of the concrete was, was drying out very quickly, yet the inside was staying wet. Uh, and therefore, because of that phenomena, it was, put, it was stressing the concrete block. So when we came to lift it, it was starting to relieve itself by cracking. So after a number of uh, studies, we, we, we overcome this simply by putting wet, wet cloths on top of the concrete so it never dried out. So uh, before we actually moved it, we put wet sacking on it, which dampened the outside, which balanced the stresses out through the block. Uh, and then we carried it that way and, and that cured it. The, the second one, again, it, it was on tunneling. Tunneling for us went extremely well. Uh, and we got to a situation where we hadn't excavated all the all the uh, station boxes. Uh, and what you would normally do is excavate the box and allow the tunnel boring machine to pass through. So we had to make a decision. Did we let the tunnel boring machine run and, and continue with the success we were getting there at the expense of, of the station boxes? Um, uh, uh, that's what we did. We made the call. We said, right, let's keep going with the tunnel boring machine. Let's get that out of the road. Uh, and then we'll dig the boxes around the tunnel. Now, you can imagine that that causes a problem in that, that we've got to keep a constant loading on the on the segments or else they, they'll explode. Um, and, and therefore, we developed a method where we were able to strengthen the, the actual tunnel where we were doing the, the box excavation and a method of, of keeping the loads constant, constant uh, across the box. Uh, and, that, and again, that proved successful. Uh, it, it proved successful for us uh, that uh, we passed it on to our colleagues in Bax and, and Bax took up at the same opportunity so we passed all our method statements and all our workings on and that's the strength of the collaboration that we would set up in the organization great equally carter now was there anything that you came across during the project that was you know, potentially problematic and how, how did you come over overcome those Oof. there were so many technical challenges that we faced over the years uh, some that come to mind are we had challenges constructing our complex structural designs of the dome-shaped roof of the iconic Hauser al Hokum Station. Uh, we also had difficulty with the three roof structures designed to represent undulating sand dunes for the iconic Western Station. There were difficulties launching our tunnel boring machines in very tight and congested spaces. And we also had challenges uh, in preservation. Preservation of existing structures during the tunnel operations was a huge challenge for us. A couple of things come to mind are protecting the historical landmark Red Palace, built in 1942 by the King Abdulaziz, and protecting the integrity of all Riyadh's tallest buildings along Alaya Street. If I had to choose probably the greatest challenge uh, and the one that we are most proud of to overcome 
Uh, I would select uh, the technical challenge of relocating one of Riyadh's largest water mains uh, on the east side of Riyadh. Uh, it was a 60-inch potable water line that crossed the path of line two rail alignment at an underpass along Sheikh Jabber Road. A very congested area, uh, very difficult to do the work in that congested area. And this line supplied approximately 25% of the residents of Riyadh. There was no alternate supply line in the area, and the water company, SC, SWCC, had zoned supply tanks that could only sustain 10 days of service disruption. So the crossing needed to be diverted, and our construction schedules indicated that performing the diversion would take 15 to 20 days, which would put water supply out for that time period. That was not acceptable to the team, and we had to do better. So to be successful, we needed to ensure that the time the water supply disruption was in place, it was kept to an absolute minimum. Uh, our solution, our design team studied the plan and determined that we could save critical time using several alternative ideas. One of the ideas was uh, adjusting the design of the diversion and connection points to be located 25 meters away from the original congested location, which would free up a lot of the construction activity so that we weren't working in such a congested area. <clears throat> the designers also redesigned uh, all restraints and thrust blocks to be high early strength concrete. And they set up a process to prefabricate many of the elements such as rebar cages, connection collars and thrust blocks to set in place during the shutdown so that all of the preliminary work was done prior to the shutdown. Also, we put the uh, diversion piping in place while the water line stayed in service. And then the last thing that they came up with was preparing for break into the line, uh, preparing for water flow. Uh, they designed a catchment basin to collect the relief water when breaking into the line. Um, and then the last thing, which is something you don't normally do in construction, um, they designed it such with the restraints and thrust blocks and the collars in place that we could go ahead and do our um, work to make the connection, do our testing, and once it proves out, not wait for the backfilling. Uh, go ahead and energize the pipeline and then do let the backfilling happen uh, after the pipe's energized. That's not a normal practice in our industry, and it is a little bit risky, but it was all part of our plan for the diversion. Um, we briefed the authorities at that time, and we got the green light to proceed, um, and the green light was given based on our assurances that it would take no more than 10 days. Uh, because once again, if you recall, uh, their zone tanks only had a capacity to sustain service uh, in that area of Riyadh for 10 days. Um, once we got that go-ahead, we did all the prep work, and after the prep work was done and the diverted pipe was in place, we began the connection work and the construction teams began working around the clock and we were very successful. We completed the work in six days. Mm -hmm. So we're quite proud of uh, that accomplishment, uh, mainly because there was no disruption in water supply to the public. So you know, the average person wouldn't, wouldn't have even noticed that this was going ahead, despite all the work that took. Absolutely. And obviously, it's such a, a huge you know, project and such a vast scale of work. Like, how did you balance that with the resources that were available to you and, uh, and to ensure that you, know, you met deadlines and, and things were delivered on time as you expected? Each of the corporations have a, a tremendous amount of bench strength or 
what I mean by that is professionals with specialty experience uh, within the corporations. And uh, Lindsay and I both relied on the ability of each of our corporations and the consortiums to supply the one-offs uh, as needed. And then we focused on hiring the mainstay, the civil yeah. engineers, the uh, architects, uh, the structural engineers, mechanical engineers. And we timed those resources to work out with the timing of each of our designs. Um, I think between the three DB packages, the design timing um, staged or paced a little bit. So Lindsay and I weren't hiring the same people at the same time uh, resources, but it worked out really well, um, particularly related to the pool available, as Lindsay yeah. said earlier. It worked out well for us to staff the core uh, with the standard professional talent and then rely on the corporations to bring in the specialty expertise as needed. Yeah, and, and just to build on that, we supplemented the resources by going to areas, going to countries to do interviews so that we could we could tap into a talent pool, say, in in India, Pakistan or, or somewhere, the Philippines, where, where, where we knew there was a pool of labor that, that we, we could uh, we could address. So, uh, again, we did joint interviews, we went to joint visits to, to attract people to come and work with us in, in, in Saudi Arabia. Just on that, was it a challenge then to bring lots of people from lots of different countries and backgrounds together to, you know, work towards the same goal with these projects? It it it, it was initially. It was it was also a pleasure to be honest because you you, you get to meet different people that you wouldn't have met. Uh, you get to see different cultures. Um, the thing was is recognizing that for for me was particularly that I couldn't just bring something from the UK and sit it into Saudi Arabia and expect it to work because we had different cultures, we had different mindsets. So once you realize that, you have to adapt to understand the organization you've got, the people you've got, and how they think. And once you've got that balance, then you can move forward successfully. And each each culture brings its own challenge and its own intelligence to the project. And that was a great, great way because they think of things differently than we would think of in the UK. And that, that, that helped us to develop our skill set. It developed our view of how we were going to tackle the project. Uh, and that was one of the great successes. It brought a lot of, lot of strength to the table. I, I, would, I would say, Kevin, that uh, probably the cultural challenge that you're speaking to uh, was more difficult on the contractor sides. Mm. Uh, the element uh, of resources that we were staffing were highly educated, yeah. uh, professional talent. So even though there were some cultural hurdles uh, for us to go through, uh, we dealt with that with training, with orientation, with one team uh, preaching and coaching. Uh, but on the DB side, it's a little more difficult because they're hiring the standard labor, the, the fellows with the shovels, the carpenters, the steel fixers. And those people tend not to be so highly educated. So adapting that type of labor pool on a big project to come all together, I think it was more difficult on the DB side. It was, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It sounds like a you know, almost melting pot you know, for, for this project in itself and you know, bringing the, these different cultures and everything else together in a, in a way is almost one of the success stories of it and showing that it has been successful. Um, exactly. One other thing I'm yeah. curious about is just um, – how you work to you know, deliver so many different elements into a single project. 
I was recently on a, a crossrail and they were talking there how the difficulty that they face is that lots of so many different elements um, coming together that haven't necessarily been focused on a single goal. And have you been able to overcome that and um, you know, avoid what might be a, seen as a civil engineering project, but actually is a system integration project? And how have you worked to ensure that that's, that's been your goal in Riyadh? I, th- I think initially it was a civil engineering project because we were, we were doing a lot of underground tunneling, we were doing piling, uh, we were building viaducts. So it was seen very much as a uh, construction project. But we had to change that after two or three years when we got the bulk of the, the civil works out, out of the road. Uh, by having the consortium all together, so we had the civils, the systems, the MEP consortiums working as one, we were able to match that, manage those interfaces. Uh, I, I'm going to say it's still difficult to get a civil organisation to manufacture the same standards as a, as a systems organisation. You know, we, we still had all the challenges that that, that brought to us. Uh, but in the main, um, it didn't really hurt us. We were able to continue uh, and come to solutions that, that gave the quality of the project, because that's the end of the days. We'll be remembered for what we leave, not for how we built it. Uh, and, you know, the quality was key for us, but it's certainly very keen for the client. Uh, and I think that's that's the benefit that we've had by the way we've operated. You know, I think I think one of the benefits was the decision very early on to do the project and act as one team, both PMCs. And I think that that uh, attritionally uh, helped the transition from civil to a system type yeah. project. Because of the timing of the design uh, being so different, even within my own contract, the two packages I have, uh, the phases of the, of the design and the timing of the installations were uh, paced off from each other. Lindsay's was also another pace. And we had to bring in the, the new, the systems, the signaling, the SCADA, the PSD type talent at different phases. And because of the fact that they didn't all come at once, there was no abrupt change. So the cultural change from civil to system didn't happen. Attritionally, the, the people that came on early started picking up how we were running the project, uh, what the project processes, procedures were, uh, the proper way to do things as one team. And it just developed as people started populating into the teams. Uh, and I don't think it was really that difficult for us. No, no. I've been on other projects where it's almost an abrupt shift in resources. And that type of project was much more difficult because you had to retrain, you had to reset the standards. And remember, our DB covered it all. So they were responsible for not just the civils, they were responsible for the systems and they were responsible for the rolling stock. So they were joined up by a contract, uh, which enabled us to work that forward. Did you do anything specifically at RMTC and ramps um, in order to facilitate that process and ensure, you know, so many different contractors were all talking to each other and, and so they're all on the same page? <laughs> That's our daily job. Yeah, 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 it is, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, guess, I guess to give a little bit of background on that, uh, early on when Lindsay and I were preparing the program management manual, the PMP plans, uh, in the plans uh, we addressed how we would fully coordinate and collaborate on every stage of the works. So what you would see in each stage of the works 
would be meetings, workshops with the DBs uh, for discussion involving both sides and involving the other PMCs as we progress through the stages of the work. And I think that helped drive it in the right direction. And we had the systems teams on. We had the system teams on from day one. So the systems leads worked with us. So it was a natural evolution to move into systems. So the systems people understood what the civils people were doing. They understood what the track people were doing. So it all blended itself together. Uh, and remember, we are different to Crossrail. Crossrail were connected into live networks. We are building a brand new network, so we don't have to have the worry about uh, you know integrating with a, an operational network. Okay. So what stage is the project currently at? And um, what will take place over the coming months as you near completion? Well, for, for package three, uh, at the moment, for two of our lines, which is lines four and six, which are both overground lines, we are now demonstrating the timetable with the trains. So we're running in what we call carousel mode with 34 trains to simulate the timetable, to simulate the maintenance and, and, and the various uh, other areas. Uh, at the same time, we're trying to complete the stations. Uh, and the stations have been the critical path for us doing the works to complete those and, and the MEP, which is the last part. We're looking to try and, and go for those two lines, particularly into system demonstration, which is the railway system operation, roughly May, uh, and potentially trial running, which means we're handing over to the operator for him to stimulate the network in June, July of this year. So with a view that we can get, get those two lines running this year. Line five is a little bit behind that, and, and it will be towards the end of the year. We, we are doing carousel running on line five at the moment, but we haven't got to replicating the full service yet. It will be uh, September time before we go into some sort of system demonstration, uh, and then we'll look towards the end of the year whether that line will come on board with the operations, or it might be the early part of the following year. On the um, RMTC side, uh, our two DBs are in a very similar state to Lindsay's. Yeah. We're in that last 10 to 12% of works to be implemented. I would say we're a little bit behind Lindsay's uh, rolling stock uh, testing. We're not at the carousel mode yet. Uh, we're just starting some of our dynamic testing. Uh, but we're not far behind. Our primary works that we have left uh, on our plate are uh, related to finishing up uh, some of the civils. Uh, uh, we've got that uh, mostly all complete, but uh, we're into the mechanical electrical phase where we're testing, putting in our ventilation, AC systems, uh, doing that testing and commissioning. And then we're uh, now focusing on uh, ramping up the signaling, uh, SCADA testing, all the systems related to the rolling stock. So some exciting months ahead then as you <laughs> get towards the end. and Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. the first yes. passengers <laughs> on board. Yeah. So just you know, maybe reflecting on what, what you've achieved and you know, what, what do you feel the major lessons are from this you know, vast project and how do you think it might benefit future projects in Saudi Arabia, maybe even elsewhere around the world? Well, let me take that on. Um, on, on projects like this at this scale there are millions of best practices millions of mm -hmm. lessons learned and we're capturing them uh, it's one of our uh, project management uh, tasks to capture lessons learned to take them on uh, for future projects but i i would really narrow the focus down to probably uh, two or three elements one is client commitment 
Um, this client here was committed from day one, and they're still committed to finishing up and uh, having the metro run for the people of Riyadh. And that's important uh, because uh, in my experience and projects I've had in the past, uh, sometimes the clients move on to other projects or other new toys, not this client. He's fully engaged, and that is a huge component of uh, the end result or the final success. And then I guess uh, the other one I would focus down on would be collaboration. Mm. Um, this first project, in my experience, where we've gone through full collaboration. Uh, I've worked with other PMCs on other uh, rail programs, other projects where the PMCs acted independently, and there were so many problems uh, that developed just because of the lack of coordination and collaboration. I, yeah. I don't know. Would you agree? No, I, I agree. And I, th I think the other thing that was beneficial is the contracting strategy that the, uh, the client ad adopted by making the DBs responsible for the full delivery of their element meant that we had one sort of um, one set of rules to work to and, and that, that that was positive just how, how about you, know, you personally you know Carter mentioned there you know compared to work on previous projects but you know what, what's your experience been of this compared to where you've worked before and maybe just generally what has it been like for you to work in Saudi Arabia I think I think if uh, we come with a, a skill set the, the reason I took this challenge on uh, when I left the UK it was so big. It was in Saudi Arabia uh, with a place I'd never been to, with the cultures I didn't know. It was frightening. Uh, and because of that, that was the challenge that drew, uh, attracted me to, to come here. You know, uh, I thought I had to come and test myself on this, on this stage. Uh, and what you find is that a lot of the skills that you've developed over your, your career are still applicable. It's just that you're applying it to a massive job. Uh, uh, and the level of control has got to be de devolved around the organization, which you, which you can't, you know, which you would, on smaller jobs, you can control more of it yourself. Uh, it's having the right people. If, if you build an organization and you've got people that are competent uh, and work together, that, that, that's what uh, makes these things move forward. And I think both, both our organizations are in that, uh, in that set. And likewise, as Carter said, we work together. We weren't in competition. We share problems. We talk. We talk openly about all all the issues that we've got, and, and therefore that was great because we had a sounding board off each other, so we developed together. I would absolutely agree, Kevin, with what Lindsay said. Uh, you did say personal, and I take it to another level. Uh, personally, for me, uh, I worked in the Middle East uh, many times, uh, particularly Saudi, and I love the Saudi people. They they're genuine. Uh, and when you can come in and your personal side is comfortable yeah. with the culture uh, that you're working with, it makes the other side so easy. And a project is a project is a project. Yeah. It's just this one is 100 times bigger yeah, than is, yeah. normal projects. But it's that personal side and being comfortable uh, in the country you're in that really helps you continue on and get to completion. Absolutely, yeah. It's a uh... Now, as you said throughout this conversation, such a huge scale of work and such a you know, monumental achievement, really, that you know, we're talking about the network opening next year. And I'm sure it's going to be a huge benefit to the city and to the people of Saudi Arabia. Well, thank you. Thanks again for your time today. I really appreciate it. And yeah, good luck for the next few months. And I hope it all continues to go well. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, please do leave us a review. And remember, for all the latest rail news, visit railjournal.com. My name is Kevin Smith, and this has been Rail Group On Air.